Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. If your baby or toddler has developmental disabilities, they qualify for a free program to help them catch up to their peers. You're supposed to get those services in just over a month, but here in Rhode Island, the wait is much, much longer. Our own Steph Machado just finished a segment about the problem with Rhode Island PBS. She'll give us a behind-the-scenes look at her reporting after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with my colleague, Steph Machado. Thank you for joining me, Steph. Hi, Ed. You just did a story in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS about the long waits that many Rhode Island infants and toddlers are facing to get into the early intervention program. So start by telling us what is the early intervention program and how many infants and toddlers are on the waiting lists. So early intervention is a federally mandated program for children from birth until age three who have developmental delays. So this could be anything from they haven't started speaking when they should have started speaking, they haven't started walking, or they're um, exhibiting other disabilities or medical needs that might require special services. And they can get free of charge services through the state, such as speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Um, there's other you know, so special educators and clinicians and nurses who are all part of this early intervention service. In Rhode Island, however, there is a long wait to get these services. And of course, we're talking about just kids from age zero to three, and some of them are waiting months and months on end to get access to these services. How many kids are on that list? Those lists, it's more than one list, right? Yes. So there's nine waiting lists at each of the nine agencies that provide these services, and there's 862 children on the waiting list as of September 15th, and that's according to the state, which is sort of collecting the numbers from all of these private agencies. So are there normally waiting lists? Uh, when when did the, we start getting people backed up on these lists? So state officials say that there was not a waiting list prior to 2021. They were getting children into this program by the legally required time. 
But during the pandemic, the numbers started to climb where providers were not able to get all the children in in a timely fashion. Some of the providers even closed to referrals at one point. And the state actually took over the waiting list to try and get the situation under control. There was routinely hundreds of children, up to more than a thousand children on the waiting list throughout 2021 and 2022. And then at the end of last year, they basically sent the waiting lists all back to the nine providers. So now there's nine separate waiting lists at each of the providers that are trying to serve these children, but just can't get them in as quickly as the referrals are coming in. So we're back up to nearly 900 now. That's right. And, you know, I should say, as soon as you get your first meeting, you're off the wait list. So there are children who may not be getting the services they need yet, but they are technically not on the wait list because they've finally gotten in for their first meeting. Yeah. So in that first meeting, you just get evaluated. It doesn't mean you got the services that you need. Yeah. It's basically to form a plan for the child based on their needs. So it's you could you could compare it to the IEP process in public schools. So th- those are the numbers, but you brought this story down to a human scale by focusing on one child, Levi Ippolito. Tell us his story. Yeah. So Levi turns three in April and he uh, lives with his mom, Olivia. She's a single mom. She works as a nurse. They're on Medicaid. Basically, since he was a baby, his mom has noticed that he has not had not been meeting the developmental milestones that he should have been meeting. He can say a lot of things, but they don't make sense together. He walked a lot later than he should have. Um, He's hard of hearing and and has some other medical needs. And so she was able to get him some services through their doctor, but she also wanted to get him into early intervention and very quickly realized that it was going to take a long time. I didn't realize it would take that long and that I would have to hound people for so long. What were they telling you? Sorry, we have a wait list. So what is the requirement under federal law for a child with developmental disabilities to receive that initial evaluation, that initial meeting, and determine their eligibility? So federal law requires that the meeting take place within 45 days. And for Levi, it took more than nine months. Nine months? Yeah. Wow. And is he receiving services now? Yes. So he finally got off the waiting list um, this summer, and he started receiving occupational therapy. And the way that EI works is they serve you in your natural environment. So in this case, they come to his house, and he was actually just able to get into a daycare, so then they'll come to his daycare. Something I do want to note is... You get off the wait list as soon as, you know, one of the services is available to you. So he was able to get occupational therapy. But that just because you're off the wait list does not mean that you're getting all of the services that you need and deserve. So there are children, I've been told, who might be getting some services through EI but are still waiting for speech therapy, which is, of course, so important. Mm. You know, I thought one of the most heartbreaking things about Levi is that after waiting all this time, nine months, he's he's going to be ineligible for the early intervention program pretty soon, right? Yes. And so at age three, public school districts are required to sort of take over the education of a child who has special needs. And so hopefully – Levi will be able to transition to special ed through his public school district in Smithfield in April. But what we've seen in districts such as Providence is that they have long wait lists to get into the special education program. There's hundreds of children in Providence who are just waiting to be evaluated. Oh, so more waiting lists might await him. Yes, and I'm, I'm not aware of any waiting list in Smithfield, which is where he currently mm. lives. But what are the potential consequences of the system's failure to help Levi or anybody else during that crucial time. Yeah, so uh, experts tell me that intervening at a young age is incredibly critical and that many children 
if they get early intervention, will not need special education in the future. And so failing to provide young children, infants, and toddlers with these interventions could affect them for the rest of their lives, essentially. They could need special education throughout, you know, in kindergarten and perhaps all the way up through public school. And the president of Meeting Street, you know, it's a a big special education school in Providence, told me, went even further than that. He said this affects their future careers. This affects prison rates. Not having a robust early childhood system has long-term implications on society and on our functioning of everything. The impact that has on a child's employability, on a child's happiness, on a child's sociability, on the tax revenues of a state or a municipality is profound. This was John Kelly's, the president of Meeting Street, which is the largest provider of early intervention in Rhode Island. And he got emotional during our interview. The child gets on the wait list and by the time you're able to get them, they're within a year of aging out. And we know how critical it is to get to them those early years. And that, um, it's painful. He's very passionate about the fact that this program should be fully, you know, if, if it's going to be a federal mandate and it's also a state mandate, it should be fully funded. So the federal government and the state have said, no, this is a mandated entitlement. We're just not going to pay for it all. And, and what do you think of that? I think it's outrageous. If you think it's that important, pay for it. So what's the main reason or reasons for the long waits? It's staffing. That's what providers have told me, that's what um, advocates have told me, and that's what state officials told me. There are not enough employees to help all the children who need early intervention. And as I mentioned before, this could be anything from a speech therapist, um, an early educator, a social worker. There's all different clinicians and providers who work in this space, and there are not enough of them. What's the reason they're finding it so difficult to get staff? Is it is it the pay? Well, that is what they say over at Meeting Street. They say it's really about pay. They try to offer competitive wages to their workers. But the reality is that these types of providers, you know, speech therapists, for example, are not unique to early intervention. They are in high demand in every level of the education system, um, in hospital and other medical settings. Same with physical therapists, for example. You might be able to work in a private practice and make more money than you're going to make in early intervention. So providers say they need more money so that they can pay their staff more and they can retain them. Um, There's also some other workforce issues that advocates have brought up to me. For example, a lot of people who work in this field have children of their own, Hmm. and the cost of childcare is incredibly high. And that might be keeping them out of the workforce because it is more expensive for them to go to work and pay for daycare than it is for them to stay home. And that's an issue that predominantly affects women. And so there's been some talk, you know, about should we be providing free childcare Hmm. to these workers so that they can go to their jobs. Right, right. And you reported that there are advocates working on this in the Right from the Start Coalition. What are they asking the General Assembly or the governor to do about this problem? Yes. So earlier this month, right from the start campaign, which is a group of eight different advocacy organizations, formally asked the Executive Office of Health and Human Services to do another Medicaid rate increase. So this is just increasing the amount of money that Medicaid pays to the early intervention providers for each of these services, because families do not pay for early intervention. There's no co-pays. 
it's all going through your health insurance, which of course many of them have public health insurance like Medicaid and also private insurers are also required to pay for this. So that's the number one ask is for another Medicaid rate increase. And I should say that there was one in 2022. Yeah, how much was that? It was a 45% increase. The providers had asked for more than that. It was also the first rate increase in 20 years. First time in 20 years, two decades. That's right. And things have improved, I'm told. All of the providers are now accepting referrals again. The staffing numbers have gone up a bit, but there's still clearly this very long wait list. So they argue that it wasn't enough. They're asking for another Medicaid rate increase. They're also asking for a cost of living adjustment to be included so that every year the rate will go up and they won't have to keep going back and asking each time for an increase. What did Governor McKee's administration say about this issue? I mean, what do they intend to do about it? Well, um, I will say that Governor McKee's administration declined to speak to me for the story. You you asked them to, to comment on your findings and they said what? So the Executive Office of Health and Human Services declined to sit down with me for an interview, either on camera for the PBS piece or or even off camera. The spokesperson did answer some questions via email. But I mean, as you know, Ed, that's not the same as being able to speak directly to the person running the program and ask them questions about what's going on and what they're doing to fix it. What the spokesperson did tell me via email was that they have a sort of a long list of things that the state is working on. Governor McKee directed more than $15 million worth of COVID relief funds to early intervention providers, and and Governor Raimondo also directed some COVID relief funds uh, before him that providers tell me they are using to attract and retain staff. They also point to the Medicaid rate increase that was done in 2022, although I'll, I'll point out that Governor McKee did not propose that in his budget. It was proposed by EOHHS, which is his state agency. So his department asked for that money. He didn't put it in his budget. That's right. He didn't put it in his budget, but then the General Assembly put it back in before passage. So those new rates went into effect July 1st of 2022. And they also say that they're doing other things like in the workforce space to try and attract more staff. But just to be clear, you were working on this story for how long? Since July, although I've been tracking it since for a number of months before that. But the administration had time to sit down and answer your questions, but they chose not to. Yes, I asked repeatedly for an interview since July. So how does Rhode Island compare to other states in New England or around the country when it comes to meeting the requirements for the early intervention program? Yeah, you know, it's mixed. I heard, you know, a lot when I was reporting this story that, oh, this isn't an issue that's unique to Rhode Island. There's a staffing shortage everywhere. And and that's absolutely correct. But at the same time, there are other states that are managing to comply with federal law. How many other states? And Rhode Island is not. So, so 24 states and Puerto Rico are complying with the Federal Individuals with Disabilities Education Act Part C, which is what governs early intervention. Here in New England, we have, stand by, I have a map. You can go look at the map on globe.com slash Rhode Island. But New Hampshire and Connecticut are meeting the requirements of the law. Massachusetts and Maine are not. They're under needs assistance for one year. And then Rhode Island and Vermont are the worst in New England, needs assistance for two or more consecutive years. So tell us what is Massachusetts doing? So Massachusetts is under needs assistance for one year, meaning that they're not complying with the law. So I did reach out to the Department of Health in Massachusetts, which told me that they do not have a wait list. So they don't have the same problem as Rhode Island. They say that they are managing to get all the children into early intervention within 45 days. So just to underscore that, Rhode Island, little Rhode Island has nearly 900 kids on the waiting list. Mass- Massachusetts, much bigger state, no children on the waiting list. That's right. No children waiting longer than 45 days. They said that the reason that they were determined to not be in compliance with the law is that they were not 
evaluating enough children as they exit early intervention. So when you turn three, you have to exit. You're not allowed to stay after the age of three. And so the law requires that a certain number of children be evaluated to see if they need to be referred to, you know, further special ed in the future. So Massachusetts wasn't up to snuff on that. So how many other states are doing worse than Rhode Island in meeting the law's requirements? Only two states, Indiana and Mississippi. Mississippi. um, That's right, are doing worse than Rhode Island, according to the U.S. Department of Education's determinations. You know, I thought it was pretty poignant when you asked Levi's mother what she would say to state leaders about fixing this broken system. Let's listen to her response. Why do you think that my kids aren't worth it? Why are you putting money into other things, but my kids who can't fend for themselves are not worth it? That's sad. What response have you received to this story? I've gotten a lot of response. This story got covered when the waitlist first became a problem during the pandemic, but a lot of people um, reached out to me and said they didn't realize that it was still an ongoing crisis. Mm. And part of that is probably because the state closed its waitlist. And so when I initially inquired about how many children were on the waitlist, they said, oh, well, we've referred them all. Because technically they were all referred to these nine providers, but that's not the whole story because now there's nine wait lists. And so there's still children who are waiting for these services. And I think a lot of people, including lawmakers and parents who have reached out to me, said they were not aware that this was still an ongoing problem. I also heard from a number of parents saying, I experienced this too. I had so much trouble getting my kid into early intervention. We had to wait so long. And so I think the story is bringing the issue to the forefront again. Yeah, tell me more about that. And how did you find out what was really going on? Well, I had already heard from providers and advocates in this space that there there were still children not getting in. And in fact, I had done an investigation back when I worked at Channel 12 with my former colleague Eli Sherman about the wait lists for special education preschool. And the parents who we interviewed for that story had said that they tried to get their children into early intervention but could not get them in. And they were on the wait list for so long that their children turned three and never got in to early intervention. So I knew that children were still waiting months to get into early intervention. And so I pressed state officials to get numbers for how many children were on the wait list. And they are now tracking those numbers. They're asking the providers to provide the numbers on their wait list. So we're going to keep asking the state for updates. Oh, good reporting. What is next? What will you be keeping your eye on? Well, by the end of this week, state agencies have to present their budget requests to Governor McKee. And so I'm really interested to see what EOHHS, the the Health and Human Services Agency, requests for early intervention, whether they put in an ask for an increased Medicaid rate or some other type of funding for this program. I did ask them if they were going to propose a Medicaid increase, um, and they said that they have not decided yet. So we will see in their budget request at the end of this week. All right, Steph Machado, thank you for this in-depth reporting, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ed. You can read Steph's story and watch her segment for Rhode Island PBS on globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. 
And if you like the podcast, you can follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.